I'm eating Tums. One second. How many Tums are you eating? <laughs> as many as it takes. It sounds like you're crunching on like cereal over there. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish my Tums. <laughs> Eat as many Tums as you fucking want, but my God. <laughs> my God. Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky, Sam's name is Sam, Leon's name, name is Leon, and uh, this week we are continuing our, our unending quest to uncover the Beatles' enigmatic riddle for teens. How are we doing? Fantastic. Great stuff. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Before we really get started, uh, I'm just going to, you know, say a little bit because uh, I'm sure some some listeners have noticed that uh, episodes are not coming out uh, every week. (laughs) lately and um that's just because i'm uh working full-time and my schedule has shifted if people are under the impression that this means the show is winding down don't worry uh (laughs) it is not ending anytime soon um and uh yeah it's and when it does end it'll be because i'm doing another uh podcasting thing so fear not fear fear (laughs) you're uh gearing up for your final smash Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a doozy. The last episode of this will be a Beatles episode, because as long as we're doing the show, we'll be uh, trying to solve this riddle. We're going to solve it. I have confidence in us. We are gonna we're getting it. there. We're, we're really making a lot of gra- breaking a lot of ground. It's not about the we're riddle. breaking the Beatles. Friends we made along the way. We're breaking bad with these Beatles. And um, to get us in the riddle-solving spirit, we are going to look at a few riddles for teens. I have been looking forward to this for so long. I have wanted more riddles for teens. It is our favorite pastime. Now, uh, it's worth noting the article I'm pulling from, which we've pulled from uh, in every episode thus far, is 37 of the best riddles for teens with answers from Reader's Digest. Um, This show is going to have more than, like, eight to ten episodes but uh we will never run out of riddles for teens so don't worry about that either how many (laughs) riddles for teens are there there are 37 in this article but we will not run out they keep making more and they're faster than we are (laughs) they're faster than we could ever hope to be concept an infinite scrolling app like instagram but it's just riddles for teens oh if only okay (laughs) first riddle what has no beginning end or middle Uh, honestly um, a lot of things I'd say egg (laughs) well an egg has a middle I think damn it Ouroboros Ouroboros is not a bad one this is the same two guesses that I started off our last riddle with I think actually you think the last the last one you started with egg and Ouroboros? Yeah, it memory serves. I do think Ouroboros was a guest last time. Um, we I, I I don't know if it was the first one, but uh, 
cat was outside, it started a downpour. I don't know. I, I'm sure it came up. But for this one... Oh, a cat. A cat has no beginning and or middle. <laughs> I, would argue those, I would argue those are three of the big things a cat has. What are the other big things? Uh, floofy paws. Floofy paws. <laughs> Leon, any thoughts? You're the cat expert here. Well, I'd say uh, my cat has a big middle. Um, that's a significant part of it. Hmm. So there's your theory out the window. I think... Uh, <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> what has no beginning and... The, the, the phrasing is weird here. Because it, what has no beginning and or middle. <laughs> yeah. I guess a you movie. can think of a... <laughs> well, the never-ending story. Uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy. Final no Fantasy. <laughs> has no beginning and or middle. <laughs> It's true. By extension, oh. Kingdom Hearts. When you walk away. <laughs> Let's see uh, what they have to say. Is uh, the answer man? <laughs> man, no beginning, end, or middle. That'd be a real twist. Yeah, when he's a baby. He well, hath no end. <laughs> yeah. And when he when he's an, an adult, he has no middle. <laughs> and when he's old, don't even get him started. Don't even get him started. <laughs> oh, that's a good punchline. <laughs> Thank you. This question sounds very <laughs> philosophical. But the answer is instead a very common object. Hoop. Hmm. If your teen is stuck, remind them of a time you got these tasty sweets as a special treat. It'll bring back happy memories you both share. It's a hoop. <laughs> it's a tasty... It's a tasty hoop. From our memories. Hoop. <laughs> it is a donut. Oh, fuck. Ouroboros. Ouroboros. <laughs> Ouroboros was a very good guess, uh, even though it was recycled. Thank you. Recycled donuts. My so uh, friendly Ouroboros. Someone at work told me a story about like a, a, a donut shop in Philly that was like selling donuts, and everyone was like, oh, these are really nice donuts. They're like fancy donuts as they're being sold. And actually... The person who owned that shop owned a Dunkin' Donuts, and they were just taking the day-old Dunkin' Donuts bagels and oh bringing them to the, the other fuck? place as artisan bagels. And it, and it it works because, on the one hand, like Dunkin' usually throws out the bagels, so it's good to keep them cycled. And it works because when they're older, they get like less less uh, you know fluffy and more cakey, and so they feel more more refined. You have to re-boil them. Wait, you boil... Like, <laughs> you boil bagels. Yeah, you do. I've heard stories of, like, cake shops where the people are like, oh yeah, these are the best cakes I've ever tasted, and it's just Betty Crocker. One time, um, me and some friends, uh, we got, like, dollar store cake mix and a can of vanilla Coke, and that was it. We just made a cake with that and no other ingredients, and it was really good. Really? Yeah. Should uh, should I get in on this? Should I be trying this? You should you should get in on it. You should you can buy in. You be trying this thing? Yeah. 
to the function recipe somehow yeah yeah a little a little coca-cola uh jello salad yeah put a sheet of two of gelatin in there yeah <laughs> a couple sheets yeah some sheet meal i that's one of my like random sci-fi concepts is that they all eat like this this tinfoil food substance that they call sheet meal sheet meal <laughs> that's matzo that is a little bit matzo that's also a little bit like the seaweed snacks that you can get at like mm. a trader joe's sure yeah that's sheet meal that's that's, that's just fucking tinfoil that's a sheet meal for sure next riddle for teams what was the answer yeah let's just not find out what the answer is the answer was a donut donut oh <laughs> that was the real one if there are three apples and you take two how many do you have you have two mm. you've only taken two of the apples there are three of them but you have taken two you have three apples you have three apples you have three apples you That's have three apples. apples. You take two apples. There are three apples. How many do you have? You have three apples. <laughs> there are three apples, but you only have taken possession of two. It's a matter of what you claim is yours. Mm, but 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 who's the authority on on, <laughs> on if those well, apples are yours? These are, are no yours? one's apples because we are all one and continuous with the earth, and therefore uh, nothing belongs yeah. to anyone. We belong to the apples, actually. They're my apples now, mm. and I'm theirs. <laughs> now the real paradox comes when if you're a doctor, and then can you have apples, or are you just, you know, like repelled? Hmm. I think doctors can have however many apples. Interesting. Because they, it's not like they would be able to keep themselves away. <laughs> they just can't help it. Yeah. This sounds like a math word problem, but it actually isn't. Because you take two, now you have two. Yeah, you do. If the question was how many are left, then the answer would be one. Check out more math riddles only the smartest can get right. <laughs> uh, math riddles as opposed to math, period? <laughs> they're math themed. They're, they're <laughs> they have math- numbers in them. They're math core. Ooh. Math wave. Math wave. Now, we've developed a habit of uh, clicking on these other riddle lists and, and uh, getting a few out of them. Um, are, are we going down a math path this week? Oh, yes. We're getting the Beatles Gematria going, so we need to train. I think this is a good a, a good uh, week to do that. So let's let's take a look at a few math riddles just to <laughs> get us moving here. Uh, here's an easy math riddle. Here's easy math riddles. Crazy eights. Crazy eights. These these are these might be too much. We'll see how this one goes. Using only addition, add eight eights to get the number one thousand. What? What? Using only addition, add eight eights to get the number one thousand. So these are just math. Well, well, I guess they are the kind of thing where it's like, well, how do you put these together to do this? But um, they really are just math problems, like math test questions. Is it? Because I don't, I don't think there's any way that you can just use addition to make eight. I mean, I think eight, the intention eight. is to like uh, 
organized them in such a way that you could do like 800 and 88 plus 8 and so on, but the total amount of 8s that you can use is 8 of them, but I don't want to do this problem because I hate math. I thought you were going to do it just now, actually, because it is 888 plus 88 plus 8 plus 8 plus 8, and that equals Oh, fuck. Oh, no. <laughs> this is the kind of number riddle. I'm just going to read the description here, and then we'll go back to the riddles for teens, because these are clearly not for teens. Ugh. This is the... <laughs> we don't want them. This is the kind of number riddle you can work out with times tables, or you can work out with times tables. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> or <laughs> by simple logic... First, get as close to 1,000 as you can, 888. From there, it's easy to figure out the rest. Oh, so easy. I mean, I guess if you put it down, you could be like, okay, well, it has to be five-eighths so that it ends on a zero, and then, right. okay, yeah, but sucks. sucks. If you did math counts in, in middle school or high school, shout out. I don't respect you. Mm-hmm. Lord. I think this disrespectful energy is also is also good for us as we yeah. get into it. But let's do another riddle for teens, shall we? Yeah, let's get back to the good stuff, huh? I call the trees my home, yet I never go inside. And if I ever fall off the tree, <laughs> I will surely be dead. <laughs> I what? thought it was, I, I thought it was gonna. I thought it was gonna be. I thought it was gonna end with died, and so <laughs> I was. <laughs> It's like, an not acorn. even paying attention. It's a it's, nut. Um, it's a monkey. <laughs> if I ever fall off the tree, I surely, I will surely be dead. I surely will be dead is obviously the way you say it. I surely will be died. But <laughs> I digress. Is this, is this the book of Genesis? Is that what this is? Hmm. Is this the hmm. true to the tree? Yeah, because because I call the trees. If you, if you think uh, about if, if you think about it like like Eden, it's like I call the trees my home. Yet I never go inside. I never cross that that threshold. You know, thou shalt and, surely die. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thou shalt oh. surely be dead. I think we got this one. Yeah, I think we figured it out. So let's just go through the uh, the text here, and then we won't even bother with the answer. Teens will either get this right away. The word fall might give it away. <laughs> As that's the name oh. of this season. Or be puzzling over this one for a while. Could it be a squirrel? The answer is leaf because leaf fall down. Yeah, because you make yeah. like a tree and leaf this mortal coil. Yeah, <laughs> when you I die. Do. When you die, yeah. Could it be a squirrel? Could it? A baby bird? Squirrels go and freeze sometimes. Squirrels do, but they do they go inside is the thing. So do baby they birds. They do definitely these go are, inside. These are dumb answers that the Reader's Digest is coming up with. They are not on our level. Whatever, whatever teen wrote this. We are better than these teens. Yeah, the, it's important to note that none of us are teens, I think, as we as we approach these riddles. Yeah, yeah. we're all, I think, in our 20s, which would make us um, tweens, I believe. Uh, twee. It's like tweens, you know, with an apostrophe. Yes, tweens. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Twenty-somethings. 
tween to somethings. We're a tween to something. Yeah. Nope. The answer is something even more obvious once you know what it is. <laughs> now, <laughs> it's, it's even more obvious than a squirrel or a baby bird, which are bad answers. Um, but it's even more obvious <laughs> once you know what it is. <laughs> wow. That feels, that feels oh. like a riddle. That feels like a riddle in and of itself. That feels like a zen kind of like. <laughs> like, it's more obvious when you know. And I wonder if that philosophy can help us crack this Beatles riddle. Uh, the answer is leaves. Oh, come on. Does leaf fall down? Because... Does leaf fall... When they Cause... fall, they leave the tree. <laughs> Because leaves, as is incredibly obvious, don't go inside of a tree. They're supposed to fall down. They come on the outside of the tree. If they grew inside, it'd be like an ingrown hair. <laughs> but That'd be it's... crazy if you cut open a tree and there was like a little leaf like stuck inside it. Um, I don't like that. Good. So, uh, do we want to do one more riddle? I want to do one more riddle. Let's do one more riddle. And then we'll do the big riddle of the Beatles. <clears throat> yeah, the Beatles' big riddle. Two people were playing chess, and both won. How did this happen? They had fun. <laughs> <laughs> they were all winners. They had a wonderful time. They had a really great time playing chess. <laughs> Such a fun game. <laughs> <laughs> They uh, they played multiple games, perhaps. Mm, that would be a, my guess too. That's not a bad uh, guess. Let's say though, I can't actually put a caveat on that. That <laughs> that doesn't give away what the answer is. Um, well, I think uh, they played multiple games is a very good and very true answer. Chess is cool again, thanks to the popularity of the Netflix show The Queen's Gambit. So teens might appreciate this riddle. Oh my god, what? <laughs> the probability of a teen appreciating this riddle has increased slightly with the introduction of this network original series. Yeah, and if not, you can uh, say that two people were playing the Queen's Gambit <laughs> board game and both Oh won. my god. Oh. <laughs> there, there's a Queen's Gambit board game uh, for the listeners at home, and it's so crazy because... It's on a chess-style board with pieces that are shaped like some chess pieces, but the pieces represent chess moves. Moves like as in, like, opens and stuff? It, it's like a future-perfect chess. Like, rather than doing the moves, you're playing... Like, like, each move you make on this board is like moving the game forward by doing a move in regular chess. So you're Oh, <laughs> so weird. That's hmm. you know. I think having a board game based on a board game is really a conceptual triumph. Yeah, I mean, it's a meta chess. Yeah, I would. I would like to see that sort of applied to more board games, where it's like Monopoly, but each move your piece makes is like buying something, <laughs> and then you're like 
buying wins of the game to accumulate to become the monopoly had to have a monopoly on monopoly so you want a monopoly themed monopoly the same way that there are like disney princess themed monopolies yes monopoly yeah like a game of chess this one challenges <laughs> you to think of possibilities you previously hadn't considered <laughs> It's like chess because it's sort of a creative exercise. <laughs> God damn it. You know, when I need to get the mind jogging, I will just sort of <laughs> imagine chess. With chess. <laughs> you play a chess match with yourself in your mind. Yes. Play it just just play it back in the car while I'm on a long drive. Just be like, well, if I did this, then I would have to think about <laughs> what I might do if I did this. 5D chess of the mind in which all activity is like chess because you use your brain like, you know, when you play chess. Yeah, yeah, a lot of things are like chess. If the thing about chess is it makes you you think of new possibilities. Um, Which it does. It does, it does. It's a very creative game. In this case, the answer lies in the information that isn't there. Oh my god, yeah, the answer. (laughs) <laughs> the answer is the answer which should be obvious once you know it <laughs> right <laughs> the answer is even more obvious once you know it because it is based on the information that <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, this article really is the gift it keeps on giving <laughs> namely nowhere does it say the two people were playing against each other. Uh, okay. I don't have anything to say to that. That sucks. I mean, okay. They were playing against other imp- opponents. Chess is also one of the genius brain boosters for kids you can do together. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? They say this like that's a thing. Like, that's like a thing that people will, like, recognize. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the seven wonders of the world, the eight genius brain boosters for kids you can do together. <laughs> Chess is one of those. Chess, crossword. I don't know. Idol. Golf. Jigsaw. Golf. <laughs> um, carpentry. Carpentry. Solving the Beatles riddle. Um... Jenga. Jenga. Uh, movies. Movies. Consuming lead paint. Consuming lead, lead paint. paint. Creating lead paint. Making lead paint. Mixing lead paint. <laughs> Mixing lead paint. <laughs> and chess. And chess. <laughs> and <I> think chess. <laughs> Mixing lead chess. Mixing lead chess. Creating lead chess, inventing new lead chesses. Lead chess pie. <laughs> Let's see if we can make a new lead chess today. Uh, <laughs> as we return, this lead is a good place to start, actually. Themed Queen's Gambit board game. Yeah, this is a good place to start because you two don't know exactly what we're going to be talking about today, and I'm going to reveal that in a moment. But what are your goals with this episode? What are we speaking into existence? Another clue. Another clue would be great. 
and uh, we're going to make some lead chess here. We really are. We really, really are. We really are, because this week we are going to talk about Beatlemania. Oh, all right. We're going to, obviously that is, you know, something that's going to come up in other episodes, but I think, you know, we're at the point in the history where that is really like a big phenomenon and we're just going to sort of break it down and some of the ideas that people had at the time (laughs) about what Beatlepedia was. Let's go through our clues that we have so far. We have one from each episode. The first one, Quarrymen, old before our birth, straining each muscle and sinew has been sort of a, a North Star for us on, on this journey. Yeah. That could be about lead chess. <laughs> it could be. To, to play or create lead chess, yeah. It takes immense effort. Yes. Uh, we have uh, the, the mysterious events on 9-11-62 uh, from, from our second episode. And uh, on, the, on our most recent episode, we sort of talked about uh, the, the, the line, you'll never know how much I love you. And this idea of, you know, that, that, that the quantity of how much I, the Beatles, love you, the teens, uh, is something that we need to uncover. As we found out last week, the Beatles uh, like teens quite a bit, so... <laughs> they sure do. So, so that's what we are leaving off with. We really... The, the, the picture of the Beatles <laughs> is only devolving. It'll only be continuous with Beatlemania, I think. Yeah, they started out so, so um, as these sort of these sort of untrained apes of of the of the Hamburg crime family, and it, it's really only gotten worse from there. We last time it was a couple months ago. We talked about uh, their first album, "Please Please Me." John Lennon described that album as quote just writing songs a la the Everly Brothers, a la Buddy Holly, pop songs with no more thought of them than that, to create a sound. And the words were almost irrelevant. Clearly. They sure were. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one thing we can agree on. Also, though, um, just writing songs, I feel like at least half the songs on that album were not written by the Beatles. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know about that either. But uh, as we discussed, it was a big hit. Went to number one in the UK. Uh, the third single, From Me to You, also hit number one in the UK. And then that started their streak where 17 of the 18 singles they put out over the next six years went to number one in the UK. Oh, good God. UK. Yeah, just 17, if you know what I mean. Whoa. So, uh, this was the beginning. This uh, The tremendous success of this album and the third single was the beginning of this phenomenon we now call Beatlemania. It, the, the name is, based on, is named after Listomania, which is a word coined by Heinrich Heine to describe the intense fan frenzy around Hungarian composer Franz Liszt. Yeah, that and also a song that people have done. A song that some have, some have done. I'm looking it up now. It, it's uh, Phoenix. Phoenix? Yeah, it's, it's a song oh, by yeah. Phoenix. Phoenix. Another thing the Beatles ripped off. So at the time, uh, psychologists and, and cultural critics were all fascinated by this Beatlemania craze where their records were doing numbers never seen before, their fans were, you know, swarming them at airports and filling out all the concerts. We'll get into sort of the heights of that. Um, 
and and the fact that even like the biggest acts you know elvis frank sinatra had like not reached this level that that the beatles were reaching i mean based on what we've already talked about uh do, do you have any thoughts on 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 what made the beatles you know pop um not the music there was something else <laughs> Certainly wasn't the music. Uh, you could argue that later on they became known for the music, but I definitely think at the time it was something else. I mean, uh, this this sort of. I wonder if there was a mix of this 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 outlaw thing that obviously was big with Elvis and Sinatra and all these other big teen idols of the time, but then also like, you know, they wore suits and they were a little more, you know. Adults were a little more comfortable with them, you know? You're telling me they were the Peaky Blinders of their time. They were sort of of, of a Peaky Blinders, a, a Peaky Blinders kind of energy, I think. Their reputation for cruelty was their main tool. And indeed, yes. I mean, like, every sort of producer or s staff type person who helped them along so far has been like, yeah, these guys suck, but there's something about them. That's, you know, like the moxie or whatever. They're cruelty. Yeah. They're cruelty. <gasps> One theory proposed was that the Beatles' long hair made them, quote, androgynous, and therefore less sexually threatening to men and women alike. That's so stupid. That's not... You're telling me the little German boy haircut was actually their, like, secret? <laughs> that was their secret sauce? Because Elvis, you know, he... <laughs> He was so masculine. He threatened the uh, the fellas. He did. He did Got threaten. It. He did threaten the fellas. <laughs> I I mean, the Beatles certainly threatened a few fellas, but hang uh, on, no, I want to continue unpacking this actually because this theory proposes that the Beatles became a huge, famous sex icon, subject to something akin to listomania, mm -hmm. by being so profoundly unfuckable. Because they looked yeah. like little German boys because they were so fucking stupid that they didn't understand what <laughs> haircuts were in. They looked so stupid that they just <laughs> they just blew blew all the expectations out of the water. I definitely think like nowadays we've seen the the Beatlemania thing reproduced uh, a lot, and I think maybe formulized a little bit uh, with the with the boy bands and whatnot. Um, never quite reaching those heights but uh well maybe bts but uh i think the beatles classic femboy charm uh, <sighs> nations all across the earth that is sort of the implication is, is the thing and i think they were like skinny pretty uh you know guys who were who were who were sex icons at the time so i sort of don't think that like the thing the beatles had were that they were <laughs> they weren't the the bell of the ball. They were not, you know, the prettiest act out there for sure. And their hair was just not really long at the, <laughs> at that time. You know, they had bowl cuts. They weren't like, you know, they, and throughout the sixties, some of them like really let their hair down. But I mean, not really. Not really. That's a weak clue. That's the wet yeah. yogurt of clues. Ah, the wet yogurt of clues. I'm sorry, what? I'm adrift in that wet yogurt of clues. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wasting away in Margaritaville. Um, oh, no. Another suggested that they were considered less uh, sleazy than Elvis because they wore suits. 
Since when was Elvis sleazy? Come on. Yeah, I don't totally. I don't totally. I mean, I yeah, I guess, you know, the panic about Elvis, you know, you know, thrusting about was like was like uh, he's, he's, he's selling sex and the Beatles, you know, weren't doing that explicitly, but we're still sort of the Beatles. Their gyrating was sort of censored by the fact that they were playing instruments. Yeah, Elvis could at most play one instrument, and the the the, the four Beatles could pl- get just get more sort of cover up on the stage. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> There's so much about this. There's just so much about the notion that the Beatles were so like neutered as to not cause any problems <laughs> for the egos of anybody. Like they had some kind of because here's the thing: there were like. Definitely cleaner acts in this. There was definitely like an idea with the Beatles that they were like rabble rousers, and they, you know, um, like, like, you know, obviously it's not super clear in their songs, but that they had this sort of irreverent uh, image around them a little bit for this. Again, this this era of fifties and sixties rock and roll that is like associated with wearing suits and being clean cut. We're putting these things on the Beatles that I think were pretty common at the time. We're putting Beatles on the stage. We're putting Beatles on this stuff. I mean, like, first of all, I think they were digestible to the youth, uh, which is where uh, the teens piece of the puzzle come in. And second sure. of all, I guess they're digestible enough for white youth. Uh, mm-hmm. As opposed to, like, all the music that they're like really derivative of, which is um, <laughs> might I say better music. Certainly, yeah, they definitely took uh, some of those some of those soul records of the time and you know brought them to a to a larger white audience. And um, as as they went on, I think they you know continued to pull from from other cultures, but at least we're sort of bringing new sounds that were new to rock and roll into rock and roll. Um, but at this time, definitely uh, they were. Mostly uh, covering songs by like the Shirelles and uh, probably, you know, getting white teens uh, to to you know come around to these songs and be like, you know, I hear it now. <laughs> Here's a fun one. It's not, but in 1964, Paul Johnson, uh, who's just some guy, a journalist, I think, referred to the Paul phenomenon. Johnson. As a modern version of female hysteria. Ooh. Oh, okay. He had oh, a piece. Females in their new- classic hysteria. He had a piece in the New Statesman about it. It was the most complained about article in that magazine's history. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> there was also this idea from the psychologist that I was talking about before that hysteria was back. <laughs> It's back, baby! <laughs> like the McRib. Just... <laughs> just this is, this is the latest form. In 1966, the British Journal of Clinical Psychology did a study with this hysteria test that was still in use at the what? time in 1966. What? And found and disproved that article by finding that Beatles fans were not more likely to score higher on this inactive use hysteria test. <laughs> no, this is sort of... No, it's, that's just bad. It's true that the Beatles 
had uh they were enormously popular among uh teenage girls and there's an idea i should point out by the way that uh you know the beatles um had a large black following at the time too obviously their american label was vj which was black owned uh so i don't you know just from our earlier conversation i don't want to completely discount that um teenage girls were the biggest part of their following and they you know it's it said that this was the moment where the music industry was for the first time like oh teenage girls will buy albums <laughs> like if we make music <laughs> for them they'll actually go and, and like buy records and so it's like a whole new market that was not buying records before so the teens themselves were the riddle <laughs> the beatles were the answer in a sense yeah I, I think that was sort of seen as being the case with Elvis too. That like, and you know, I, Frank Sinatra in his in his sort of heartthrob age was that like, uh, you know, teens were buying these records, and I think that is really that really speaks to where whiteness becomes such a big factor here because it's I, I don't think it's that people weren't listening to these black artists. Obviously, they were performing very well on the charts and they were you know making great music consistently throughout this time but i think that uh white parents were always a lot more hesitant about 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 their kids sort of engaging with 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 the black artists and so when it came to actually buying records and taking them the extra mile to superstardom that relied on kids buying the records and black artists really did not have that luxury interesting so it's not about what the riddle was, but rather who's asking. <laughs> hmm. Who wants to know? Who's asking? Hey. hey. <laughs> Don't get me started. Uh, another key element that uh, is talked about with the Beatles' whole image is that their reaction to their fame was sort of glib and irreverent, and they would, you know, joke around in interviews, sort of like, they they never did like the the outpouring of love the you know gratefulness for all the support they get they were always just kind of fucking around they were always just kind of fucking around and they were they sure were as well as we'll get into uh <laughs> that is something that i think you could definitely point to that their public image was really the thing that distinguished them and we see when they brought brian epstein on board like okay you guys need to stop you know you know, hollering around on stage, <laughs> you gotta put on. <laughs> and uh, but but I do think that like their sort of lack of uh, formality and how they and how they talked in interviews and how they presented themselves and they you know they never really like did the PR <laughs> the PR thing as much as you know uh, major label artists had before that. Beatles were a bunch of guys who no one. Uh who did not have precedent for anyone telling them to shut the fuck up. And so they just did whatever they wanted. That's what I'm hearing. It's, it's true. They, they uh, came from, again, this, this you know, vile <laughs> Hamburg scene. Uh, and were just, you know, very untrained and uh, unchained, I guess you could say. Unhinged. Unhinged. And so they do all these interviews, you know... Uh, Getting getting shots off at Ringo and uh, and you know what? spewing <laughs> you know they would always do like a, even the best drummer in the Beatles you know they 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 throw they throw little pot shots at him. Oh okay okay I thought we were talking still about the vile scene of Hamburg. 
When they would get <laughs> shots off at Ringo. <laughs> they, would, they, would, they would pop at Ringo. They, they, they'd have him, uh, they'd make him dance, really. Their reputation for cruelty was well-deserved. Yeah, they had a history of violence, <laughs> like Viggo Mortensen. What? Who started oh. the movie, A History of Violence. Oh. I thought this was back when he was in that vile scene of Hamburg. He was also in the movie, A, a Vile Scene in Hamburg. <laughs> oh. I thought that was Shakespeare. Uh, they were Shakespeare's for sure. They, they you know... With all their theft and all their uh, larceny, and their, uh, they probably, they probably maybe set a theater on fire at one point. <laughs> it's always something with them. As Beatlemania was sweeping the nation, music publications started to fill with Beatles interviews and stories. Teen magazines would have Beatles posters and articles. Really, this whole, you know, I mean, they would have. They would have posters of like models before that, like you know Fabian, and that, uh, this was really like the 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 nexus point for sort of bridging bridging that gap between like the 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 music world and the teen idol world and the teen idol world was still pretty nascent to be fair teen idol world what other features of the teen idol world already existed prior to the beatles well they already had uh magazines elvis posters uh elvis was definitely uh, a teen idol sort so it was a lot of like you know boyish singers with like these 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 very beautiful voices who would uh do do little ditties and and you know standards and whatnot and then there were you know magazines that they would sell with posters and stuff and uh yeah i don't know i don't know about any of this i don't <laughs> trust it so when john lennon married uh cynthia powell in 1962 it had to be kept secret on February 2nd, 1963, the Beatles embarked on their first nationwide tour. They were fourth billed on an 11-act tour headlined by 16-year-old London singer Helen Shapiro. Who? Helen Shapiro. Would we know anything from her? Yeah, you don't know. Walking Back to Happiness. Her, her highest charting song in the U.S. hit number 100 on the Hot 100. So... <laughs> She did not really cross over. No. Here's the full set list for that show. Uh, it went Red Price Band, The Honeys, Dave Allen, The Beatles, Dave Allen again, he's a comedian, uh, Danny Williams, Intermission, Red Price Band again, The Kestrels, Kenny Lynch, Dave Allen one more time, and then Helen Shapiro. After all that shit, how... Who was sitting through to wait for <laughs> Helen Shapiro? I guess the people who came to see her, you know? They stuck it out for, for ten, ten fucking acts. They stuck it out for three Dave Allen bits. <laughs> they finally what got happened to the Shapiro mania? Where did all that spirit go? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it was... The spirit of British jazz? <laughs> the spirit of, of messianic Jewish jazz? She, um, like that tour was sort of the height for her. And I, I think maybe because Beatlemania became such a thing right in the aftermath of this, she just like, you know, they, you know, she was up and then they like jumped over her and she just, you know, never, never recovered really. Hmm. They, they destroyed this career. one's career. They did. <laughs> uh, journalist Gordon Sampson uh, covered the tour and he observed the following, quote, 
A great reception went to the colorfully dressed Beatles, who almost stole the show, for the audience reportedly called for them, repeatedly called for them, while other artists were performing. Wow. They just kept getting Dave Allen instead. Yeah, every time Dave Allen came out, they were like, give us the Beatles. The colorfully dressed Beatles. Much like the Gospels. <laughs> give us Barabbas, the colorfully dressed Barabbas. Ooh, the <laughs> they almost stole the show. The Beatles with their colorfully colored carapaces. Yeah, their their wild blue <laughs> locks and their <laughs> their iridescent exoskeletons. Yeah, their chitinous membranes. <laughs> their Christ-like sacrifice. <laughs> they sacrificed Dave Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, their second tour, that first tour started on February 2nd. Their second tour started on March 9th. It was, it was headlined by Tommy Rowe and Chris Montez, who were two uh, American acts that were uh, relatively big at the time. And uh, here, their fans were even more intense, to the point that after a few shows, they uh, replaced Rowe and Montez at head as headliners. They just sort of quietly switched them out. Oh my god. Yeah. That's funny. That was the first time that a UK act uh, who was on tour with a US act, like, you know, overtook them on the <laughs> on the billing, which is a very specific thing. I don't know <laughs> how they really kept track of that, but yeah. I think that's sort of an interesting thing in itself, though, that like British music, British pop music was sort of... I mean, there were, there were though, because like, cause like Skiffle had its days in the sun and like, I was going to say that, you know, they were sort of an act that, like, became popular making, like, American music and being British, and they were kind of maybe the first to do that. I don't have the facts to back that up. Probably, that's probably something, you know, I think an additional element of, like, the white parent thing is, like, you know, the parents being like, well, we don't want all these American artists, you know, corrupting the youth, and then the, the Beatles were just like, oh, well, they're British. That's just some nice Bristol blokes. okay. Yeah, they're they're ship shape and Bristol fashion. Paul McCartney uh, sort of cited the fact that the third single they put out was "From Me to You." Its B side was "Thank You, Girl," and he said that in a way that was like addressing the fans and being like, "Thank you, girl." Thank you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, bestie. Oh, the Beatles thanking their girl best friend. I, I mean, they definitely weren't the first to do this either. I have to just, like, that that sort of... The fact that a lot of their songs were, like, you know, me and you, and that's something that you see with a ton of, with, with like, all-boy band music nowadays, uh, is, is, you know, songs that are pretty vague lyrically and are addressed to you so that the audience can sort of project themselves onto it. Yeah. Girl reading this. Thank you, girl reading this. So that, that tour started on March 9th. Uh, on April 8th, John's first son, Julian Lennon, is born. Wait, what? <laughs> By whom? Congratulations. Oh, Cynthia, what's her name? By Cynthia Lennon, his wife, who he married in secret in 1962. In se- wh- huh? <laughs> you were here for this. this I was, me- but it's fresh to me. <laughs> yeah, we had, we addressed it a moment ago, but uh, yeah, the previous year, as they were 
you know, building up this whole Beatles thing and going on tour a bunch, John secretly got married, and uh, I'm sure the band knew, but it wasn't, like, public knowledge. Uh, and then, yeah, as they were on tour, uh, on many tours, uh, John's son was born. Well, okay then, in that case. Yeah. And John uh, phoned into the hospital. <laughs> You're kidding! <laughs> he phoned it. <in. laughs> Literally phoned in. Oh no! Uh, he did see his son for the first time uh, a week later on April fifteenth, but the previous night, April fourteenth, he and the band had gone to see the Rolling Stones at an event. This was the first time they saw them, and they were partying with the Rolling Stones until four in the morning. The next day, John gets up, goes out to Liverpool, and sees his son for the first time. Oh my god. <laughs> Impeccable parenting. Clearly That's... foreshadows his dedication to this side of his family. Yeah. And and maybe that maybe the maybe the teens were really loving that uh that sort of absent father spirit <laughs> yeah that's like the devil may care element that they needed to become a sex symbol i, I see the, the 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 ultimate trajectory here is one from so unfuckable that they can get their foot in the door to derelict in fatherly duties and therefore activating some sort of subconscious i don't know complex the, the technicalities of being a dilf without any of the commitment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they are incredibly sexist, sexless, but but they are uh, very unruly. <laughs> and exactly. <laughs> it's it's the worst of both worlds. It is, but we're finding it out. We are we are figuring out a little bit um some of the roots of Beatlemania, which could be an important important piece of you know getting to the bottom of this riddle so it's freudian then oh it certainly is i mean you gotta you gotta imagine these psychologists are, are so <laughs> are so they, into it they've cornered this section of the psychosexual market finally finally a completely untapped you know uh, daddy issues um, uh, scene that that they're just stepping into. Wow, they're tapping in. They're they're phoning in <laughs> to this scene. <laughs> to this birth. So uh, their third tour begins on May. Uh, in in, in mid May of 1963, they they go from one tour to another once again. This one is headlined by Roy Orbison. Oh, okay. A familiar face. Probably. Yes, a face in the crowd. And uh, someone who had inspired some of the tunes on, on their first album. Orbison was a much bigger name than anyone else the Beatles had toured for. And yet, within weeks, their fans had so dominated the tour that promoters edited the posters to put the Beatles above Roy Orbison. <laughs> oh my god. What? <laughs> they outpaced Roy Orbison within within weeks of this tour. There's no way. There's it's, no way. It's insane. I mean, Roy Orbison. Beatlemania, man. Roy Orbison had the number one song in the UK like this entire time. <laughs> what? 
yeah, it, it is absolutely wild. Um, he had uh, from the album In Dreams. I think the the single was In Dreams. Uh, <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, like Radiohead. Yeah, a lot like Radiohead. Uh, I mean, a, a top ten hit in the UK that you know for 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 the entire time of that tour, and yet the fans were coming out to the shows and just you know stomping down the place sort of sort of learning the lesson of the beatles in the cavern club like destroying the stage <laughs> when they did that in in germany uh or maybe that was in liverpool i don't know but but they you know the 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 fans have taken that spirit and are now just storming every venue and being as wild and unruly as the beatles were known for being that so there's this was a pattern then Yes, there's an un, there's there's a greater thing that they were fitting into. That's something. That is something. I'm really working to find this riddle out, man. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm we're gonna, gonna like, we're gonna crack it. The Beatles' criminal spirit was inspiring the criminal spirit of all these teens who were trying sure. to feel free to be criminals. Yes, people. yes, they inspired a whole generation of criminals and uh, bastards. Thank God. <laughs> Someone had to do it. And why did it have to be them? Uh, Ringo still has a quote about being really impressed by the uh, crowds that Roy Orbison had. <laughs> he says, We would be backstage listening to the tremendous applause he was getting. He was just doing it by his voice. Just standing there singing. Not moving or anything. <laughs> the Beatles discovered music, finally. Rico was like, wait, you can just stay? Because the Beatles, again, had been cleaned up, but they were known for, like, you know, <laughs> bouncing around the stage and, and, you know, playing with their backs turned to the audience and doing all kinds of antics and shit. <laughs> and to just picture Ringo and the rest of the band being backstage and hearing the cheering he's getting and just standing there with his guitar singing. They're like, Wait, you can just like be be talented and people like it. If you're a real musician, people will wait. <laughs> interested to find out if the Beatles thought of themselves as musicians at this point at all. Famously, they uh, couldn't read sheet music, and uh, I really, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if they like you know kind of felt that they were <laughs> they were sort of fucking around and, and it happened to work out they weren't quite sure what they were doing but they suspected that they were making something happen yeah <laughs> they people liked them people liked them uh and they were floored by the notion that people might also like to hear music <laughs> <laughs> Amidst all this, people started clamoring for the Beatles' next single. Fans were ordering the single from the label as early as June 1963, which is before the song was even written. <laughs> what? <laughs> the fans were, I guess, I don't know how, like, can you put me down for a copy of the next Beatles song? <laughs> Redownloading the album on Apple Music. They were on, they were logged on to uh to uh pandora <laughs> the 
they were putting in there they were logging in with their email and they were <laughs> getting set up with the beatles next as yet non-existent song <laughs> By the time that song came out in August, 500,000 advanced copies had been ordered. <laughs> Fire. Well, then they yeah. could just, just write any song, right? And then... Yeah. <laughs> they could, and we'll listen to the song. It's possible that they did. <laughs> okay. It's another statistic. It's like that thing from episode one about how, like, one in 20 British people were in a skiffle band. <laughs> Like, twenty people pre-ordered the Beatles record. Yeah, five hundred thousand pre-orders in the UK. Like the Beatles had not crossed over. They were like parts of Europe, like them. But I, I, you know, I think the people who are pre-ordering the single were pretty much just in the UK. It, it's insane. The song in question is uh, "She Loves You," uh, which again, I think we'll take a moment to listen to uh, at some oh, point. Oh, she like girl, like the girl reading this. A little bit, uh, but we'll actually get into that. Uh, Lennon and McCartney started writing She Loves You while they were on the Roy Orbison tour. Uh, the initial idea was to do a call-and-response song like Bobby Rydell's Forget Him. Uh, John Lennon attributed the idea for the song to McCartney. He said, it was Paul's idea. Instead of singing I Love You again, we'd have a third party. Well, me, you, and girl. The Beatles' grand polycule plot surfaces once more. Yeah, we are uh, we we are coming back on it, and um, yeah, there's other there's other little notes on it, but I think it'll make more sense if we just listen to it. So let's take a moment to listen to uh, "She Loves You" by uh, the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I guess I'll put the put this out here just to start us off. This is, and it, it's hard to think of the right way to quantify this. This was the biggest hit of the Beatles' career. No, it's pretty good. It it's fine. It, it was the like the you know obviously they've had songs that have sold more since. But when the Beatles broke up in 1970, She Loves You was their biggest hit. Oh. And, uh, you know, we were talking about this formula they had of the, uh, of the I Love You songs, and that's sort of the main clue we took away last week, and this, they definitely did bring a third party into it on, the, on yeah. this track. Yeah. And actually, the you that they are referring to is, is seemingly another guy. So they... they Purposefully <sighs> twisted and shouted away from from their from their <laughs> audience. Finally, this one's for the girls and the gays. This one is for the boys with the booming system. With the what? With the booming system. Okay. So, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about it. She loves you. Let's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah, a yeah, remarkably yeah. normal song. It is without much to uh, complain about, actually. Yeah, like it's it's pretty it's pretty good. I don't know. It's you know fairly. Yeah, it, it's you know. Uh, I don't know about good, but like normal. It is normal. Is there's no impressive. like. There's no like she was just seventeen. There's no weird mixing. There's there's no like. Strange lines. It, I, look here. You think you've lost your love? Well, I saw her yesterday. It's you she's thinking of, and she told me what to say. 
she says she loves you. And you know that can't be bad. That's <laughs> <laughs> nursery rhyme fucking Mother Goose lyrics. It is. The scenario here is that he's talking to a friend, uh, we have to assume, who uh, who I guess is, is talking about, or just seems down, maybe. Um, I don't know how this conversation starts. But, but, but Paul and John in unison, you think you've lost your love? Well, I saw her yesterday, and it's you she's thinking of. There's, there's two conversations you have to consider here. There's the conversation in which he is talking to the girl, and the girl is like, if you see my ex, can you just tell him that I'm still thinking about him? And then the next day... <laughs> next day the conversation with the ex where somehow i mean i i guess you know having had that instruction it comes up like oh just so you know i know you think you've lost her <laughs> but she's still thinking about you it's you she's thinking of yeah 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 <laughs> it is it is very nursery right <laughs> it does not deviate um very much you know it's up to you i think it's only fair pride can hurt you too Apologize to her. <laughs> there's, uh -huh. there's one one point it gets a little weird. Uh, so he's saying like she loves you, but uh, it's just my opinion. This is the point where where the where the beetle comes into it. He's like, if you ask me, you should apologize to her. Yeah, that this is normal. Yeah. They, uh, you know, with, with, with those expectations where they would have already broken records if they just put out, like, a, like, like, a farting on the mic <laughs> song, <laughs> they, they, uh, kind of, kind of exceeded expectations. Um, the yeah, yeah, yeah refrain sort of became the Beatles' catchphrase at the time. They were, like, associated with saying yeah, yeah, yeah. In parts of Europe, they were just called the yeah, yeahs. You're kidding. Oh, I'm, I'm not kidding. They were they were just a yeah, yeah, yeah guy. A Church of England clergyman remarked that the Beatles could restore the popularity of the church by recording a cover of Oh Come All Ye Faithful called Oh Come All Ye Faithful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny <laughs> oh comedy. <laughs> Funny stuff. <laughs> Uh, the yeah yeah response was inspired in part by uh, All Shook Up by Elvis uh, here's a good quote by John Lennon it was the first time in my life that I had heard uh huh oh yeah and yeah yeah all on the same song <laughs> holy shit <laughs> blue is blue is noggin he'd never heard wow. such a thing I'm like, I all never the contemplated it you can say uh huh, and oh yeah, and yeah yeah. All in one song, really groundbreaking. There are also some woos on this song, some uh, some some falsetto woos, and those were inspired by the Isley Brothers' take on "Twist and Shout." Lennon says about that woo quote: "We stuck it in everything. <laughs> we stuck it in everything. <laughs> they stuck it in everything." <laughs> There's uh, one of the a, a, a more well-known story. That uh, after they finished the song, Paul played it for his dad, and he said, "That's very nice, son, but there's enough of these Americanisms. Couldn't you sing? She loves you. Yes, yes, yes." Oh my god! 
that that goes back i think to the thing i was saying about how the beatles could become really popular in the uk because they're the first you know like british not pretending to be american uh acts to be doing this 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 american rock and roll sound well that makes sense uh, the engineer, Norman Hurricane Smith, recalls the recording session thusly. I was setting up the microphone when I first saw the lyrics on the music stand. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, oh my god, what a lyric. This is going to be the one I do not like. Oh. <laughs> when they started to sing it, bang, wow, terrific. I was up at the mixer jogging around. What? Jogging? Jogging. He was he was jogging. He was he, he he liked the song so much. He he, he jogged about it. Song? He was he was a you know. <laughs> they were jog champs. Jog champs. Jog champs. Joggers. Oh, he jogging. was jogging. He was jopping. Uh, Roger. Roger. <laughs> I was about to say Roger. Roger McGuinn of the Birds calls this the first folk rock song. It's not. It's, it's not. No. He's wrong. <laughs> he, is, he is incorrect about that one. That guy needs help. <laughs> that guy needs to see a psychologist. <laughs> He's got hysteria. Uh, the song broke records in the UK. As you can expect, uh, planted the seeds for the Beatles' international success. Um, the B side on the song uh, of the song on the UK release, we could listen to this if you want to. It was called "I'll Get You." What? And John, and John uh -huh. says, "Quote uh, that was Paul and me trying to write a song, and it didn't work out." <laughs> and then they sold it <laughs> to millions of people. They sold it as the B-side to what they knew was going to be <laughs> their biggest hit yet. They recorded I'll Get You. They were like, this doesn't really work. Let's put it out there. <laughs> okay, the beginning of that song was some of the worst shit I've ever fucking heard. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. What are those classic bad sounds that the Beatles like to start their songs with? <laughs> yeah, um, John Lennon's assessment that this song didn't really work out, I think is fair. Uh, uh, d does not disappoint <laughs> on the title. I guess the first line, Imagine I'm in Love, is, is an interesting line to start out with, but, um, yeah, bad. <laughs> it couldn't yeah, go more yeah. nowhere. Yeah, the the bridge is really bad. The oh yeah, yes. I, that. I'm gonna change your mind, so you might as well resign your well, resign to yourself me. to me. Oh, <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Uh, I I have a a quote from uh, McCartney here, and um, for a warning to the listeners, there will be a a, a slur in this quote. I also liked that slightly fangy way we sang Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, which is very distinctive, very beatly. What? <laughs> That's what I got. That distinctive Beatles, a homosexual sound. <laughs> what? <laughs> Their signature sort of gay lilt. That's their... 
<laughs> their gay little sound that they're so known for that <laughs> I mean he's really cover... proud of that one <laughs> he likes it he said it's very beetly <laughs> I don't know when that quote was from but uh, I think it might have been the 90s <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched a 90s interview with him the other day because my friend showed it to me, and I had to leave because he was being so racist. <laughs> mm. So that that does track. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was in his racist era. <laughs> <laughs> his bigot phase. His bigot moment. So uh, that single, <laughs> with that B-side, with that classically homosexual B-side, uh, debuts in late August, <laughs> and um, they're pretty much still touring nonstop when it drops. Uh, on October 13th, they appear on the UK's top variety show, Sunday Night at the London Palladium, hosted by Val Parnell. Hosted by who? Val Parnell. His father was Fred Russell, the father of modern ventrilo. What? <laughs> oh, I know him. Just kidding. What's modern ventriloquism? <laughs> well, as opposed to the old the style, killer of ancient ventriloquism. He was sort of the the original figure of like uh, the puppet sits on the knee. He invented that. Ventriloquist killed the puppetry star, the marionette star. Yeah, and um. And uh, yeah, Val Parnell, the, his Fred Russell's son, hosted Sunday night at the London Palladium, where the Beatles were seen by 15 million people. Jesus. In the following days, a national publication referred to the frantic audience as Beatlemania. We don't know for sure which one. <laughs> so, despite the fact. That it was in a national publication that we, you know, have all this documenting of like where the Beatles were day. We don't know who actually coined <laughs> Beatlemania. How is there not a record of that? It was in a publication. There's a guy who says that he 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 was like you know a, a roadie of sorts, and he says that he told called it Beatlemania to a journalist, and so. <laughs> He's the one who he claims he's the one who came up with it, but we don't know exactly where it was printed. We do know that uh, the Daily Mail printed it on the 21st, which was about a week later. So by then, at the end of October, they go to Sweden on a five day tour. And when they return, they are greeted by thousands of screaming fans at the airport. And this is something that, you know, will sort of happen every time <laughs> they come back to England. You know, for the next couple of years, they're 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 always swarmed by fans. Thousands. 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 That's it's a terrible place to see somebody. The airport. Yeah. The airport. Well, this was you know at a time where you could just sort of walk around the airport. But um, in November, the Beatles began their first tour as official headliners. Uh, and uh, cops began attempting to control crowds with high-pressure water hoses. Gee. The cops are brutalizing these Beatles crowds. These unruly Beatles crowds. That's a classic 60s cop move. It really is. And uh, discussions erupted in Parliament about the cops putting their lives on the line <laughs> to protect the Beatles. Another classic move. 
the in, in Parliament, they're like, we need to. The, these cops are putting their lives at risk for the Beatles. <laughs> we need to do something about it. What? They're laying down their lives for the Beatles. <laughs> I think at that point, I think they should just kill the Beatles. I think they yeah. should just take them behind the shed and put them down. Yeah. Um, and thank God, somebody eventually just came. Yeah, slash J. The <laughs> the Parliament just comes together. They're like, they they could you know exile them to um, the Isle of Man or whatever. <laughs> Send them back to Hamburg. <laughs> These guys, because it's really sort of tearing the country apart. <laughs> At the exact same time that 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 civil rights. <laughs> Are, are causing this much America. The Beatles are doing it in the UK. <laughs> yeah, because it's, uh, it's fucked up to hose teens. You shouldn't hose teens. The first tour date on this tour was at the Odeon in Cheltenham, which is, you know, smaller sort of country uh, town. And the fans were so loud that the Beatles could not hear themselves perform. This is, like, biblical. <laughs> it's so crazy. It got so crazy so fast. <laughs> like it starts and then it's suddenly like we can't find an act to pair with the Beatles that they won't overcome. And so they're like, let's stop and just have them do their own tour. And then it's literally like the government is involved. The cops are bringing out like the, the riot gear. The, the, the fans are so loud that they can't hear themselves. The next day, uh, the Daily Mirror ran the headline, quote, Beatlemania, all cap exclamation point. It's happening everywhere, dot dot dot. Even in sedate Cheltenham. Even in sedate Cheltenham. Even in sedate Cheltenham. <laughs> the Beatles are inspiring violence in the teens of sedate Cheltenham. <laughs> You can't escape it. No matter how sedate <laughs> you go, the the Beatles fans will follow, even in sedate Cheltenham. Good God! Uh, at this time, a Daily Telegraph article compared Beatlemania to uh, Hitler's Nuremberg rallies. Oh my God! It's really like <laughs> somehow Beatlemania. It's like um. This movie, which was my my favorite movie of last year, Bad Luck Banging, it, it, it's 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 a film about this um this teacher whose sex tape leaks, and like the the controversy around her sort of becomes this canvas for like the entirety of Romanian history to just sort of fall onto her, and like you know at at this at this you know they have this parent teacher meeting, and there's like there's you know. Um, there's like a, a former fascist general there, and there's a priest and a rabbi, and it's just like like the sum of politics comes together around this issue, and that's sort of what's happening with Beatlemania here. Yes, just like the Beatles, much like the Beatles, um, the much Nazi like party. The uh, no, I got nothing. There were a lot of there were a lot of fans. Um, mm -hmm. of the yeah, no, I also got nothing. They Big said crowd. slurs. Said slurs, yes. Uh, racist. <laughs> Jerk Hamburg. Violence. Hamburg, yes. Yes. Oh, boy. Bad haircuts. 
you see how somehow the, the image just keeps getting worse every time we talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we did. First 9-11, now Hitler. We got to, we, first 9-11, then statutory rape, now somehow we got to <laughs> Hitler. <laughs> it, there's, What's next? What's there's, after this? There's no bottom. It just keeps going. At the very top of the pyramid, it's the Beatles. Uh, it goes all the way to the top. So, uh, while the Beatles were doing all that in the UK, in the US, uh, we pretty much just thought it was funny. Uh, <laughs> American journalists looked at Beatlemania with amusement. They uh, sort of commented on how the Brits finally got around to rock and roll. And, you know, it had been the big thing in America for like 15 years <laughs> at this point. Um, the Baltimore Sun said, quote, America had better take thought as to how it will deal with the invasion. Indeed, a restrained Beatles go home might be just the thing. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Only. If only they, if, if only we had, we had listened to their warning and <laughs> just said, Beatles, go home. Beatles, go home. Beatles, go home. A restrained Beatles, go home. A restrained Beatles, go home. It would have been just the thing. If only the British people in any situation had just stayed home. Mm-hmm. The first American news report on the Beatles aired on November 18th as part of the Huntley-Brinkley report. And then CBS prepared a five-minute segment on the Beatles that heavily featured She Loves You. It was going to be aired nationally during CBS Evening News on November 22nd, 1963. Sorry, that was the, the Handley-Brinkley uh, the, 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 the first report was did air on November 18th on the Huntley Brinkley report. The hungry grumbly. <laughs> the, the, the very the, hungry. The, the hungry hungry hippo report. The hurdy gurdy. The. <laughs> the Rudy Tooty Fresh and Foodie Report. I'm just going to say the sentence again to, to just have the drop into it. CBS, after the Huntley Brinkley Report, CBS prepared a five-minute segment on the Beatles that was going to heavily feature It's going to be a whole report on how huge they are. It was going to be aired nationally on CBS Evening News on, again, November 22nd, 1963. Oh, wait, what that's happened my mom's then? birthday. Wait. So, <laughs> hey, that's my mom's birthday. Hey, guys, that's my mom's birthday. You know what else happened that day? My mom was born, aside from other important events happening that day. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. Um, if you, the listener, recognize that date... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, it it's just my mom's so birthday. happens. It just so happens to be Liam's mom's birthday, and uh, also the day that a fellow named Kennedy uh, was shot. Yeah, on my mom's birthday. How, how dare you? Uh, which, which. <laughs> so, so uh, the CBS News report got cut um, <laughs> for that reason. 
Uh, and also, another thing that happened on November 22nd, 1963, the day of JFK's assassination, is the Beatles released their second studio album with the Beatles, which we will talk about next time. They released their second studio album, We Killed John F. Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> He's with the Beatles now. <laughs> He's oh, in a no. They absorbed John F. Kennedy. They oh, what number of Beatle are we on now? Millions. <laughs> JF, JFK was the <laughs> nine millionth Beatle. Um, <laughs> he was the 10,000th visitor to that, their website. <laughs> to the Beatles.gov and uh dot, dot uk and um <laughs> he exploded as a result so <laughs> next week we're going to talk about uh with the beatles um what what's the clue that we walk away with this week there's been a lot Just about a range of violence that they perpetuated <laughs> it's been quite a Quite a chapter, this one. Um, I feel there's definitely something very cryptic about this whole headline. Beatlemania, it's happening everywhere, even in sedate Cheltenham. Yeah, I, I also had something jump out at me about that. They also did a song called I'll Get You <laughs> in, this, in, this, <laughs> in this chapter of the story. So there's probably oh, a few things. it was about JFK. It was about <laughs> JFK. She, what, she Loves You was about Marilyn Monroe. And then I'll get you. <laughs> was like, I'll fucking get you. And sure enough, I think I'm going to put down Beatlemania, it's happening everywhere, even in Sedate Chalna. Yeah, as that's it. That's clue, a clue for the list of clues. That is a clue. So, um, but, but we're clearly starting to approach... Uh, we've, uh, you know, at every point we've come out to the end, like, there's, there's a criminal... Ed- going on here and uh i guess <laughs> the next uh patch of this uh quilt is that they assassinated jfk <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening thank you to sam and leon for joining me thank you very much for having us this has been wonderful as always thank you this has been a real hoot and a half and uh, we're we're getting so close to solving this riddle, guys. Just give us like one, two, thirty-seven more episodes, and yeah, like only a hundred <laughs> more, definitely, and we'll have a down pat. It's really coming together. Um, right and now, we need to do this for the teens over JFK. Just... Over JFK. Ooh. <laughs> if, if you like the show, uh, you can uh, subscribe to me on Substack. You can follow it on uh, Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Um, it's it's on all the anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find Pulp Friction. That's not a hundred percent true, but it's like ninety eight percent true. Um, and uh, yeah, the the other big thing you can do is just share it with your friends. Let people know you like it. Um, and that's that's a huge help. So I will see y'all next week. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.